What is up? What is up, guys? My name is Ryan Cabildo, and I just want to welcome each and every person that is tuning in. Um, I am one of the church planning residents around here at Miles City. What that means is me and a team are, are coming together to start a church, and we're going to start a church this fall, October 2nd, in Wayne, Michigan, and it is called Lanterns. Lanterns Church is building up a team as we speak, so if you know anyone in the area or if you feel called to church planning, please let Miles City know so they can contact you with us so we can get connected. Speaking of teams, I've been on multiple teams growing up my whole life. I, I, I wrestled for a team, I played soccer. And one of the times when I played soccer, very quickly, I learned that there were different positions. And I was called to be a center mid. And what that was is I had to look around and see the field. I had to make a lot of passes to the offense to then score a lot of the time. And so when I would get the ball and I would see where I want to pass it, I have to make sure I follow through so it could get to where I want it to go. But not only that, the people that were forwards that were running towards the goal to score, they didn't wait till I kicked the ball and then to move like everyone else. See, when they depended on me, when they thought I was reliable as a soccer player, they'd actually make the run to where they knew I wanted to put the ball. And so when I would kick it, they would already be on their way there expecting the ball to be where they wanted it. And when it got there, goal. They would get that shot, and a lot of times that's when we would score. Now, being human, there was times where I'd go to kick that pass, and it was supposed to go over here, and ended up 30, 40 yards over there. And, and, and that's a struggle. But not only in stuff like that with soccer, but in life, there are things that I've had relationships, and people have trusted me, and they've expected things from me. And when we were on the same page, and we were aligned together, things went really well. But the times where it didn't, where I didn't keep my word and I didn't follow through like I should have, I let a lot of people down. And the thing is, is when you get in those situations, maybe you guys can relate. I'm pretty sure I can't be the only one. And when you don't follow through, when you let someone down, there's consequences, there's struggles, there's, there's hurting on relationships to where it drains people. I've been felt, I've felt drained. I felt exhausted because of that. And the thing is, when we think about the word follow through, when we think about someone following through, when they do that, there is a, a trust that is built to, to depend and rely on someone. But when things happen in the world, when we're trying to be the one that's trying to depend and rely on something, and we pick things of the world, I think it's safe to say a lot of us get hurt from it. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of hurt that happens with all the things that are going around us in this world right now. And so what we want to unpack is knowing that it's so important to be able to depend and rely on the follow-through. We want to talk about the God that's known for following through today. We're going to unpack how that God is known for following through. That's the God that's known for being sovereign. That's the God that's known for all of creation. That's the God that's known for being the God of miracles. And that, that God is a God that we can depend on to be the God that follows through. And we're going to unpack that today and see how that can change the way we look through the lens of our, our faith through walking out into this world and life. But first, if we could close our eyes and bow our heads, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time, um, the fact that we're alive and, and we have availability to come to know you. Um, please guide my mind and my heart uh, and my tongue as I speak. I pray that I make myself available to move out of the way and you to work in and through me. I pray for people's minds and hearts and ears as they hear what you want them to hear. God, let them hear uh, something that helps them move towards you. 
and away from some of the darkness and the hurt and the things that are going on in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so today we're going to look at the book 1 Kings, uh, chapter 18 and 19. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and open up to that. And while you do that, I'm just going to give you a little bit of context of what's been going on in 1 Kings and, and what we're stepping into. See, the book of Kings is showing us that there's all these kings and they're straying away from God and his plan. Kings are becoming evil. It's not, they're not doing what they should be doing for the better of, of life. And now we're, we're looking at King Ahab. See, King Ahab is not only an evil king, but he, he is one of the most evil kings that they know of at this time over Israel. And, and he struggles so much to actually follow the one true God that, that has given favor and, and, and brought Israel out of so many things. And yet he is not following God fully. And not only is he evil, but then he has a wife. His wife Jezebel. And she is known for her wickedness. She's known for chasing after God's prophets and trying to murder them, attacking them at all times when she gets a chance. And she is bad, and that is his wife. And so in response to this, in response to the, kings, the king and his wife and everything that's going on, there's a prophet named Elijah. Don't get that mistaken with Elisha. Today we were talking about Elijah. And so the prophet Elijah, he was there. And what a prophet is, is God goes to people, picks them, gives them favor, and speaks to them to then deliver his message to, messages to other people, to, to share the truth of God. And so Elijah is here, and God has sent him on a mission to take the, the Israel and get them back on track. And so Elijah comes to the king, Ahab, and says, hey, guess what? There's going to be a drought. You are getting no rain for years because of everything that's been going on. And so now we're going to look at a time in chapter 18 where it's been a couple years since this drought. And, and we're going to pick up right there at chapter 18, starting verse 1. It says, later on in the third year, so three years have went by of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. So we got Ahab and Obadiah. And now, because of the famine, everything that's going on, he asks Obadiah to go and, and look for land. They split up and they're looking for land where like their horses and mules could eat so they could survive. So much stuff is being affected in the land from this drought. There's famine. There's all these things going on. And so they separate. And now at that same time, God has told Elijah to go out and find Ahab and let him know that rain will soon come. And so when Elijah is looking, he runs into Obadiah. Now Obadiah he drops down and puts his face down to greet him. He, he meets Elijah with so much respect. And it's because we see uh, before this in Kings that he is a follower of God. See, Obadiah believes in, in God and he's devoted to him. So much that one time when Jezebel was trying to kill the prophets, Obadiah took a hundred of them and hid them in two caves to keep them alive. Knowing that if he got caught, it would risk, it, it, it could be death for his life. And so he sees Elijah, and Elijah says, hey, go tell Ahab I'm coming to talk to him. I want to meet with him. And Obadiah's like, no way, man. You don't understand. Like, I know who you are, but he's been looking for you. Like, you said there was going to be a drought. The three years have passed. All this stuff's going on. And he's looked. He's asked people to try to find you. And if I go and tell him that you want to talk to him, 
and then he can't find you again like in the past, it's my life. And so Elijah looks at him and says, hey, I'm going to stay here to meet him. So go, and tell, go tell him that I want to talk to him. And so Obadiah does. And then Ahab and Elijah meet up. Right away, when Ahab sees him, he goes, hey, troublemaker for Israel, referring probably to the drought and how all the chaos that's being caused. But no, Elijah looks at him and goes, no, you and your family are the troublemakers. And so then he tells Ahab, go get the people of Israel. Go get the prophets that you have that worship other gods. He had 450 prophets that were prophets of Baal, their, their God. And so Elijah says, go get them and meet me. And so now we're going to look at verse 20. And it says, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. We see here that Elijah wants us to see that it is so important to not be divided. He's calling out the people of Israel saying, hey, look it. You guys are so divided. That's not good. Here, let's put it to the test. If, if, if you think your God, Baal, that you guys are struggling with is the God, then let, let's see if he is. But if not, come, be all in on the one true God. And so he, he's explained to them about how, he even explains how, like, if you're divided, if you're divided, it's, it's, you're, it's lame. He, he literally uses the, the line, how long will you go limping? That it'll affect you. And I don't know about you guys, but I found myself feeling like I was limping in between things in life. I, I, I've had trouble when I doubted who God was, who the true God was. I know what it was like when I didn't pursue God, but I, I pursued something else. Like we see Israel here, and they're, they're, they're pursuing other gods. And they're thinking that there's, there's a real God that isn't the God of Israel. And they're struggling with that. And I, I've, I've even been there. I challenge us. I challenge each and every one of us to ask us, are we fully following the one true God? Because if we don't, if we don't wrestle with that question and make up a mind, we can get stuck in the middle. And right here is a warning of why we don't want to as we see what happens next. And it, So challenge it. Learn, spend time seeing if you truly are going to follow the one true God. Because if not, you might end up like me and many others. At times in my life, I, instead of following God, I followed other things. I was limping back and forth between God and drugs, God and alcohol, God and idolizing money, God and not being sure if maybe I wanted to be the God of my own life and follow my own plan. And being in between limping back and forth caused me to live a lame life that had a lot of hurt, a lot of confusion. And right here we have Elijah showing the people of Israel, like, do not be stuck in between. And so he wants to show now that he has all these people. He's like, this is my chance. God has shown me that he will come through. He's the God that follows through. He's a God of miracles. So then he goes to them and he looks at the 450 prophets and go, I challenge you. 
He's like, let's take the altar, let's take some wood, let's take a bull, and then you guys go around and call to your God to set that on fire. And because there's 450 of you, you guys can all try to get the God, Baal, to light it on fire. But then afterwards, I'll go, the one of me, and, and try to do the same thing. Let's see whose God shows up. And so this goes on. I mean, there's 450 of them, and they're trying to do this. And it goes on for hours and hours, to the point where we even see Elijah, he, he mocks them. It says around, around noon. Let's see, verse 27 says, About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself, relieving, going to the bathroom. He says, or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. Now, I'm not saying we should go into life and mock everyone. Just because we see Elijah right here, we, we see a lot of other times, there's other ways we can do things. But I, I just want us to sit in this moment and realize that there was 450 people saying there's another God. And there was just one of him because a lot of the prophets were chased away, killed, hunted. There was all this stuff. There's wickedness going in town. King after king, evil and evil and eviler going on. And, and so Elijah is there and he has all of Israel watching. And I understand that. I think this just shows that in a moment, sometimes we do have to have confidence. We do have to call certain things out. And so he's looking at these people that, that know of the God of Israel, but are still getting stuck in between. And he's getting their attention. He goes, what are you doing? Where's your God at? This God that you're turning away from the true God because of. And so he, he does this, and we see afterwards that the prophets, they go crazy. There's tons of things that they go, they lean harder into their traditions and rituals, and they, they even start, they're known for like cutting themselves and bleeding out, and they're trying to do everything they can. 450 prophets, and Baal doesn't show up. Nothing happens. And so Elijah takes a turn. He, he goes to the broken altar that's all broken down for the God of Israel, and he repairs it. He grabs 12 stones to resemble the 12 tribes of Israel. And he puts wood on there. And he puts the bowl. But not only that, he then looks and tells people to bring water. Now remember, they're in a drought. There's famine because of it. He asked for them to bring water and pour it all over the altar and all the things. And then he asks again for them to do it again. And then one more time, three times, they soak it so much that there ends up becoming a trench of water around this altar. And before we actually look to see what happens next, I would just like this to hold up. Just take a moment and realize what Elijah is doing here. Look at how well Elijah shows us how to move forward in faith. I mean, the things we've just heard just now, he called out the kings he, he, he notified them that there was going to be a drought. He, he had confidence upon all these people watching perhaps that he was able to even get to the point of mocking. He, he moves and rebuilds an altar. And we're even going to see in a moment how he turns to prayer. The way he moves forward in faith. He goes before expecting the God that he knows that he can move forward even when he doesn't see it happening in the moment. Look at the things he keeps doing to take another step and another step in God's plan. 
And so then we see in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting at verse 36, it says, And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, so when it says came near and said, this is him, he's praying. One of my favorite things is like in the Bible, that we don't we see people praying. We see how important it is to pray. But there's very few times where we actually get to see word for word the prayer that's being said. And right here, I think it's a very important reason that it tells us, hey, let's look and see actually the words that he prays. And so it says, the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all things at your word. And it continues to say, answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. The God of miracles. When the other prophets couldn't get their supposedly their God to do what they thought a God would do, the one true God shows up. And after being soaked in water, sets that baby on fire. And the people of Israel see that and they cry out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Like I was saying, it's so cool that we can see this prayer word for word. That, that shows there's something we should look into this prayer and see actually the words that he's saying. I love how it says that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Showing us that when we depend on God, God is the one, the God of miracles, the God of power, the God of salvation. He's the one that brings our hearts back. When we depend on God, our hearts are renewed because of who God is and what he can do. I want us to ask ourselves this. Are we finding the moments to cry out to God and say, Lord, you are God. Oh, Lord, you are God. Because of the things that we're starting to learn or that we've known for our whole life, the things that God has done and the things he's still doing. If not, we should be. It'll help keep our minds focused on God. And, and that's the God that, that turns our hearts back. It'll change the way we talk and walk, the way we live out our lives. And so then we see Elijah calls out afterwards for the 450 prophets to be seized. And, and then it says that Elijah goes and takes the prophets and he kills 450 of them. All of them. And I know that might seem heavy. And, and, and we just got to remember, like, God, God is an all-knowing God. And, and there's a reason that he does the things he does. And sometimes beyond our understanding. But if we see this, if we really look at this, if we look at who those prophets were, what was going on in the story, the one thing I can even see how that relates to us today when we look at the scripture is it is so important to realize that we have a sin problem. And when we turn away from God, uh, sin literally means separation from God. There's consequences. And we choose those consequences by sinning over and over again. And the price of sin is death. The price of sin is separation from God. The price of sin is not forgiveness from the creator. 
And when we see these men paying a price for what they were doing, trying to worship another God, it reminds me that there is a God that loves us so much that even though we have the price of sin that should equal death, just like those men, he sent his son down, Jesus Christ, to come live a life and teach us the truth. But not only that, he died and rose again for us, defeating death and sin. And so if you're someone that's been wrestling with having a relationship with Jesus, I need you to know that there is a God that loves you so much that you don't have to pay the price of sin like we see these men did. You can go to God and have a true relationship with him, trusting in him and asking for forgiveness. And so we can rejoice when we see things like that. We can rejoice that we don't have to have that same outcome because of the God of miracles. Speaking of miracles, we see that. But then after that, we see Elijah. He goes to the top of the mountain and he gets down and he prays again. He prays for the rain that God told him to, that God was going to send. And he sends a servant to go look for the rain. And he does it over and over again. The servant keeps coming back and saying, there, there's not a sign in the sky that there's going to be rain. And so Elijah goes a seventh time. He does it seven times. But the seventh time the servant goes, the servant comes back saying, hey, I saw a, a man-sized hand coming from like the sea of a cloud in the sky. And Elijah, just being the man of God that he is, goes, all right, this is it. He goes and he tells Ahab, and he tells everyone, there's a storm, and says, Ahab, get on your chariot and go, go. And so he's there, and he sees it, and the clouds start to darken, and they come in. And I, I want to just take a second, because in this moment, um, Elijah then goes to run to the same place Ahab is going. But the thing is, I want you, so look, this is a common day outfit at that time. This is what people would wear. And to be able to run, you would have to take your loins and you have to pull them up. And there's these moves where you pull them up, pull it tight, put it through the legs, wrap it around, tie it in a knot, and do this. So I want you to just realize not only is he running with not the best, um, you know, Under Armour or Nike or Adidas, whatever workout clothing you guys like to wear, he, he's doing it in the style of clothes that they had at that time. But not only that, it says in Scripture that he pulls up his loins and, and prepares, but then God gives him favor. God gives him strength to do this. And we see that Elijah then turns and runs, and he's able to outrun Ahab in his chariot. And he gets to the location before him. And through all this, Elijah shows us with his actions how we can focus on God's follow-through. I mean, think about it. The fire. The, the, the prayers and the rain, everything that we just saw, I'll run in the chariot, like I just mentioned, like God is a God of follow through. And every time that Elijah goes forward, God follows through. But it's not just because he's going forward to do what he wants to do. We got to remember that he's a prophet. He's heard from God what to do. And when he does God's will, God fulfills his promises. And so when this happens, Ahab gets there then after Elijah And Ahab goes and tells his wife Jezebel what happens. And she gets furious. She lays down a threat like no other. She says, if he is not dead by this time tomorrow, I can be killed. She just throws her life in there, making sure everyone knows the threat that she wants Elijah dead. And because of this, Elijah, even though we've seen everything he was doing up to this point, there's a change in the way he acts. And so let's, let's read again here at chapter 19, sorry, in verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. 
He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. The Elijah, the prophet that we saw God use through all these things, how he was moving forward in faith, how he he was focused on the God of follow-through, now gets caught up in fear. We see that he gets caught up in something that looks a lot like fatigue. He is starting to be worn down from running in fear for his life. He feels worn down. We even see he leaves his servant and he even isolates. And so as we see him do that, now he is laying under this tree. And as he's there, he is woken up from an angel. And there's food and drink there. And then he falls back asleep and we see again, he wakes up and there's food and drink. And then the Lord says to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replies, explaining to him, and then God and him are in this conversation and he says again, what are you doing here? And I just want to ask you, where in your life do you think God would ask, what are you doing here? What fear are you giving into? What fatigue are you wrestling with that you feel so worn out? And what are you doing there? And I hope if we identify those areas in our life, we learn how to then turn to God. Because it, this brings me to my next point, that we need to be able to fight against fatigue. We see Elijah. I mean, he, he was able to outrun a chariot. We, he, he was able to have faith and call the kings. All the things we're hearing today, he was able to do this. But when he was fatigued and he gave into fear and he gave into not getting the proper rest that he should have with God, it changes to the point where he even, he isolates himself. And so whatever area it is in your life, we need to realize that we need to fight the fatigue. God then talks to Elijah and tells him, hey, I need you to get back to my plan. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go back and do this, and you're going to do this. And I'm going to give you this person named Elisha that's going to take over for you. But stick with me. Rest with me. And return with me. And in the same way, I know that it could be so hard for us. There's times where I've been trying to go out into the world, and I've been trying to be on mission for what God has, and, and I've been rejected and not understand that that was them rejecting what God has for them. And there's things that wore me out. There's, there's, there's things that I struggle with. And then I go home and I've sat alone. I've isolated myself. And it's got me going so much further than, than anywhere I should ever be away from God. And at this point, we need to realize that us too, we need to rest with God. We need to find our tree and, and rest under and, and eat and drink and, and spend time with God and pray to him and study with him. And also, we need to make sure that we don't take these, these, these effects of being fatigued and then choose isolation. There's a point where isolation leaves us alone, and we see in and throughout Scripture that isolation continually beats us up. God says in the beginning, middle, and end of Scripture that being alone is not good. We are meant for community so much that God... 
He gave us the church. And so we could not be in isolation. So we could fight against that. And so we could stay out of fatigue. That It could prompt us to rest with him and rest with his children. And then we could build one another up and encourage one another. And we can do this and depend on it because of God that's been a provider and is still a provider. A God that did miracles and still does miracles. So much to where today, anyone here, that if you don't have a relationship with God, God has made a miracle of forgiveness and salvation for each and every one of us. For you. He made it for you. He made it for me. That God sent his only son that he so loved. But he so loved the world that he sent his son here for each and every one of us. And he lived a perfect life in flesh. He took on all the temptations that we do in our life and still live a sinless life. Fulfilling so many prophecies. And through that, he carried himself all the way to the cross. Because he was reliable for us. The amount that we can depend on him. That we see in the cross because he, he got spit on. He was mocked. He was beaten nearly to death and then put to death. And, and God allowed that to happen so he could pay the price of our sins. So we wouldn't have to. That's the God that follows through. That's the God of miracles that we have. And so if we could just recap real quick. Where could we be moving forward in faith more in our lives? What, what focuses, how could we be focusing on God's follow through? The things he's done and the things he's doing. And what in our life could we be doing to fight against fatigue? Because we see how it can affect us. And if you're someone here today where you're like, yeah, I felt fatigue. I've dealt with people that don't follow through. I've never really had true faith. I want you to know it's available for you. And it starts with having a relationship with the God of miracles. It starts with having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you trust in Jesus, when you're ready to depend on Jesus and surrender to him, it's a game changer. When you confess that he's your Lord and believe in your heart that he died and rose again, you are saved. And so if you would like to take that step, if you'd like to move in faith for the very first time with God, if if you could just close your eyes Bow your head right now, wherever you're at. If you're in a car, you don't have to close your eyes if you're listening, but wherever you're at, I just, when you get the moment, I just want you to say, God, I want a relationship with you. I confess my sins to you. I believe that you, Jesus, are God. Thank you for dying in my place to pay for my sin. Thank you for rising again for me. I lower my pride and surrender my life to you. Right now, I receive you, Jesus, into my life. And I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And as we continue to pray for for everyone, man, God, I just pray for your refining. I pray that you work on our minds and hearts, that you turn our hearts back to you daily. Please, God, so we can continue to move in our faith 
and focus on your follow through and be able to fight against any fatigue the world puts in our way. We thank you, God, for your love. And we just, we ask that you guide us to continually move and move and move closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So if you're someone that did make that faith move for the very first time, you can text Mile City the number 94,000 and follow the prompts. And that's just to let us be able to come alongside you on this journey as we help you with your next steps uh, in your faith journey now that you have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, we thank you guys for being here today. And just please, um, please remember this. We can always have faith in the God that follows through. We can always have faith in the God that follows through.